This is the New Criterion Podcast. I'm James Pinero, Executive Editor of the New Criterion. And today, I'm pleased to welcome Peter Pettis. Peter is the author of a new book called The March in Memory, From Selma to Montgomery, published by Criterion Books, an imprint of the New Criterion. Peter, I've known you as a potter, um, a photographer, still lives, and um, as a painter. But I wasn't aware of this body of work that went into the current book. Tell me a little bit about this book, how it came to be. Well, the, uh, the pictures were, of course, taken 50 years ago, when I was 30 or 29 years old. And uh, at the time, I had just resigned from the... Uh, Kennedy State Department. I was a Foreign Service officer with uh, with uh, the State Department was stationed at the time in Foggy Bottom, and uh, uh, when Kennedy was assassinated, uh, I was profoundly affected, as everybody was who was working for him, uh, and that and a number of other factors led to my to my resignation, and so having been pursuing the artistic photography for some years, uh, I picked that up and continued to do it in the Washington area, and one of the aspects was to explore the, uh, the possibilities and uh, the nature of photojournalism. And so when some friends uh, suggested that we join this group leaving from Washington, going down to the march. Uh, I welcomed the opportunity and began to um, record these images that I've uh, now put together in book form. Now, your book is um, really a photo essay of your experiences there. And you write at the beginning of the book that you were not there as a reporter. You were there as a citizen. Right. So is that... A difference in the way we see these photos? I think so, and I think that uh, the elapse uh, the of time has made this particular point of view more relevant uh, than it even was then. Most people who covered this with any uh, attention to completeness uh, were working for somebody. They had, a, uh, they had a client, usually a newspaper or some group, who, in one way or another, influenced the content. So they were, most people, photographers, were working either for a news outlet, and they wanted to see uh, events that were newsworthy, uh, whereas my point of view was much more neutral, and I think less opinionated and less biased by political views, or really predilections of any kind. And I think that shows, in the, I had no political attitudes or established point of view, and uh, what I was doing was just witnessing this really extraordinary event and recording it in ways that I thought uh, made sense to me at the time but uninfluenced by outside um, pressures or clients. 
So take us back 50 years. This is the 50th anniversary of the march. But the march that we know, the one that you took part in, was the third march. That's right. The successful march. Take us back to 1965, to March. What, what went through your mind? What was the news like that encouraged you to go onto that train and go down south? Well, of course, at the time, the the uh, attitudes of anybody in a, uh, in a in a Eastern college uh, would have had certain points of view that were just simply uh, prevalent. They tended to be uh, sympathetic to the uh, black cause and to the need for this protest. They very rarely had deep and complex opinions about it, but it was just a sense of uh, the rightness of the enterprise. And so they wanted to be a part of it if they could. And I felt the same way and went down with that point of view in mind. So on March 7th of that year, uh, there was the first attempt at a march, uh, which resulted in Bloody Sunday. Mm -hmm. The marchers beaten and turned around um, at the county border, leaving Selma. Uh, Two days later, there was another march that became known as Turnaround Tuesday, uh, where I believe Martin Luther King went up to the to that same border, but turned around without proper protection. And then the march you participated in was later, at, uh, uh, March twenty began on March twenty first. Mm-hmm. Now, what's remarkable about the icons of that march, beginning with the Bloody Sunday, is that I believe Bloody Sunday took place on a bridge named the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Correct. And now, is, are you related at all to that Pettus? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we are all descended from one particular family, one guy, uh, Sir John Pettus, who came on a royal land grant to uh, the Virginia colony in 1639. And uh, that was the source of everybody both black and white, named Pettus, spelled that way, in in the country. We were all descended from the same people. And Edmund Pettus was a rather lackluster Confederate general who performed one memorable feat, which was very, uh, very beloved by the, the Southerners in general, when that is a, a, a daring cavalry raid on some uh, Yankee outpost, and that made his made his name. Anyway, he survived the war and became a, uh, a senator from Alabama, uh, a job that he had for decades. Um, so that's, what the, that's who the bridge is named after, and he was part of the Virginia diaspora uh, in throughout the South, as far as Texas and uh, uh, further. Um, that uh, and there were a great many of these people in Alabama itself. That's who he was, and uh, my father was a little embarrassed by all this apparently over the years because he never mentioned that the family had a southern branch, and it wasn't until considerably later that we all learned that was uh, indeed the case. But um, I don't know too much about him. Uh, 
I, I think he was a uh, classical Southern uh, general in behavior and in values, uh, which until relatively recently was okay. Now, maybe not. But you went down knowing about the bridge that bore your name. Not really. I, I, I hardly even thought about it. And then I, I saw people kept bringing it up. And I said, ah, yes, yes. Well, And so I subsequently, I didn't really know anything about mm. the family at all or about him. And uh, where we live, we just we wanted nothing to do with the southern branch uh, because we were oriented more towards the northeast in St. Louis. But uh, so I just forgot. I didn't know that much about it. And I don't know how really great a... Patriot, Southern or otherwise, he might have been. You decided to go down after those two marches that that weren't successful, uh, and your book starts out with the beginning of those travels south. That's right. Um, yeah, that was interesting because this was a, a chartered train that uh, a lot of prominent civil rights activists in the Northeast had had chartered to take a train load of sympathizers down. Uh, and that's many of the people uh, that you see in the book was this group of, of uh, supporters who uh, went down in this chartered train to, to, to show support from the Northeast by and large, uh, for the march itself. And how did you get on the train? Could anyone join up? Or? Not really. I think I, I'm a little unclear whether you had to register or something. It was just, I mean, I don't think they were uh, turning people away in droves, but it was something that you could do, you could volunteer to do, and uh, it left with some fanfare, which I record in the book, from Union Station in uh, Washington, and uh, it, it, it really got significant press coverage uh, throughout. This was a, a reasonably conspicuous group of uh, civil rights, if not activists, at least staunch supporters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a great deal had happened in the weeks leading up to this. Um, between the, yes. this, the failed second march and the third march, which you did, uh, Lyndon Johnson um, held a joint session of Congress, uh, I believe, to announce the, uh, a bill which became the Voting Rights Act. That's right. And also offered um, the federal protection for the marchers. Were you nevertheless uh, worried about safety? Well, it was a huge issue, um, somewhat to my surprise. Um, there was, for example, at nightfall, there were... Uh, orders to lower the blinds, to reduce the, uh, the light silhouette of the, of the train. Mm. And there was a great deal of scare talk and of threatening sort of situations, which we were supposed to be prepared to deal with and were told basically how to do that. None of this, possibly because of the show of force and the general shift in the national attitude uh, made unnecessary. But still, there was a uh, there was a sense of of constant threat, uh, and we were actually we were young. I mean, uh, we we really had not much experience. I'd been in the army, but never any real combat experience. 
You arrive in Selma by train. No, you, you arrive, went to, went to Union Station in Montgomery, which is featured in country and western songs all the time. There's always I see. something happening in Union Station, and it's usually raining. <laughs> and then you had to make your way to Selma. Yeah, and then, then I, I came a little unclear how we, got, how we joined up with the march. There may have been some busing involved there, but we, we joined in and followed the route from that point to the completion of March and, and the big rally following it uh, at, at the end. But it was, uh, it was a situation where uh, we really, none of us really knew what we were getting into. And I was naive in a great many ways, including politically. I was with uh, I was with one guy who eventually became uh, a congressman from uh, for Nantucket in the uh, that part of the eastern Massachusetts uh, and served for many years named Gary Studs and he had a, a checkered career but uh, but he was he was my age and uh, he he encouraged me to, to go and so it was people like that I was less political probably than most because it just hadn't been a part of my college background or army or anything. Um, I think what's also striking about your book is that the photographs are not of the front line of the march. Right. You are in the middle of the march, and you, you get much, I think, much closer to the everyday marchers who are there and the people you saw along the way. Exactly. I mean, this was kind of my attitude uh, towards photography at the time, uh, and I, I was influenced earlier by people like Walker Evans uh, with that kind of straight-on, matter-of-fact way of recording life. Uh, and that's what I ad admired. So I, did, I didn't pre-select for any reason the images except from really kind of an artistic point of view. I wanted to take compelling pictures. But I was not interested in, in news-breaking uh, events so much as the emotional qualities of both the people in the march and those uh, both white and black on the outside uh, who were actually living in, in this town and in that area. And I think I was successful in doing that. It, it has an a unstaged quality the book does uh, to me that I, that I think is, is quite successful and turns out to report more now than maybe we thought at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, the distance of the march was not insignificant. No, I forget what it was. I think but it was. No, it was uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, I mean, there was a lot of, I, I have pictures of people, you know, exchanging various unjuice and ointments and uh, sunblocks and whatever. Uh, yeah, it was it was I mean, fifty. It was, I feel a fifty mile walk. Yeah, it was it was probably that. And you were camping out along the side of the road. Yes, every night. Yeah, there was one one place that's uh, a now a a, a, a site um, with some with some buildings uh, called Tent City, which we we apparently made an arrangement with some farmer and uh, sort of used his his fields and camped there. But it was very well monitored, very closely monitored, and uh, I don't think I felt threatened at any mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And the whites who, as the photographs show, 
we're kind of bludgeoned and impassive at this point and uh, are a study in themselves as they watched this event really sweep away their way of life. Mm-hmm. And you have some of them in the pictures, uh, um, a young white man carried a Confederate flag. Well, that was that one guy, yeah. He, he, was, he was the only one that seemed to be conspicuously uh, aggressive in that regard. The rest of them are just working people mm-hmm. along the side of the road, coming out of factories, lining up. There's a lot, I think those photographs are gripping because they're, the uncertainty, the the lack of knowledge of the future that was part of this is hard to reconstruct now, but nobody, neither black nor white, really knew what was going to happen. And it was a very, uh, it, was, it was a deeply disturbing experience, particularly for the people, both black and white, in the area through which this was all transpiring. Um, and I think I got some of that flavor of a, a combination of, of fear, uh, uncertainty, and uh, uh, wonder uh, about, the, about the future. And, and that I think I, I did see. So was the march a mix of people like you and also locals who came and joined the march, or was it primarily? Yeah, it was. It was primarily uh, predetermined liberals from the north mm-hmm. who had already made up their mind, and uh, with varying degrees of uh, of commitment. Uh, as I say, this was really not my field, and I was not primarily uh, motivated by uh, by political zeal. Some people were, uh, and that was interesting too. But I was more neutral because I just hadn't had political experiences of any consequence uh, in the short period um, that I'd been out of, out, of, uh, out of college. So you are in the pack of this march, and that's where your photos are taking place. How far up was the head of the march, the one we usually associate with this march? Well, way beyond our range. I mean, I, I never we, I never did see a celebrity, Ralph Abernathy, uh, uh, MLK Jr. didn't see, didn't see any of that except towards the end from a very far distance. No, this was, this was the main body or even uh, a very small part of the people uh, marching uh, to this, to this ideal, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I gathered the crowd grew to twenty five thousand. I guess is that, is that what? Yeah. Yes, I guess so. And yeah. what was it like then, camping out on the side of the road? Were you given supplies? Uh, oh, sure. The logistics yeah. were beautifully handled, yeah. and uh, uh, as I say, then it's been a long time now, and so I'm not sure about the names. But people who know this field. Uh, well can identify all sorts of characters who uh, are there. I, I, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, but there were there were a number of, of, of semi, not, not, not up to the very top leadership, but some pretty high up who briefed us and uh, mm-hmm. saw to it that we knew where we were going and what we were doing. But it's the, it's the experience of being with these people that did not really know what was happening and going to happen to them 
and the this is hard to realize, hard for me to realize, because it was never part of my life in the first place. But you could see it now in these pictures that they, they this was a terrible stress of the unknown. They knew that what had gone before was ending, but they did not know what was coming next. Mm -hmm. Do you mean a stress for the local population? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, in other words, um, now we have it more or less. Uh, uh, we, we know the good guys and the bad guys, but at the time, at least for me there, this was not so clear. Mm -hmm. uh, they were just people that I could see who were caught up in an episode uh, that was beyond their understanding. Now, is that equally true for the white population and black population? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whites are, are of course, resentful. Here, here's an invading army. And this was, you know, from their point of view, I, I would imagine... Oh God, more of the same. You know, we've been here, done that. It's 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 the end of the Civil War again, and uh, we're going to be vilified as usual. And there's a kind of a resignation uh, and puzzlement. Uh, and the blacks, it's a, it's a fascinating combination of emotions that I think I, I did get of anticipation, of hope, but also of uncertainty and really deep fear of a situation that was so unknown it could spiral out in any direction. Tell me about your equipment. You, how many photos did you take? What did you bring with you? I think, well, I had, I had basically, I guess I bring two cameras, yeah, but it primarily was a Leica M3, which is one of the great cameras ever made, and uh, it's not a, uh, a, what's called SLR, it wasn't a single lens reflex, so you're not looking through the lens, uh, but it's a very quiet, you can, can't even hear the shutter. So in, in a crowd situation, it's very discreet and really one of the best cameras that uh, was available at the time. Um, so that's what, and I, this, as I say, I was using a Tri-X film, which was the fastest on the market uh, and grainier than some, uh, because that's the payoff for the speed. This, Light sensitivity goes up, and the and the and the grain quality um, goes down. Yeah, I'm I'm particularly impressed how close you get with those photos, um, how you really get to see their faces. Oh yeah, in a way that I think many news photographers at the time weren't quite getting. And this was in a formative part. We were forming up. We were doing this. This was everyone is really candid, relaxed. They're they're, and that's why when you see. Uh, ambiguity and confusion and stress it's real I mean it's not uh, no one is really playing a role here they're just going through this experience which is what I intended to be doing myself and would take pictures from that standpoint now these photos over the last 50 years existed only as negatives well yeah I mean I, I uh, actually um, I did some things with them. Uh, some of them, I I was persuaded uh, to lend someone some of them to the Library of Congress to make the images available. I retained the rights, uh, but and people for years. New York Times is one that they used. I don't know if it's the one on the cover or not, but but many of these pictures would appear in magazines and in newspapers quite often and mostly I would be 
recompense, reimbursed a little bit, whatever it was, not much. Um, but I retained the rights to them. Then also, the uh, Department of the Interior, the, uh, the Parks Department, got a commission to build a center at this tent city site, which I've never seen. But the, it was designed by an outfit in Boston. Anyway, I was persuaded to, uh, I, I gave the use of, that sole use, of a fairly large number of these pictures, which I think are supposedly, I don't know, I should go down there. It's a difficult place to get to, but, but this, is, this encompasses the whole wall around in this visitor center at one of the sites that commemorates the march presumably in perpetuity. So that, that use was done and I was paid, I don't know, a nominal sum, nothing much. But otherwise, no, I, I wanted them to appear together in a book as a narrative. And uh, so uh, I realized it was sort of now or never. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And besides which, the number of people who were alive, who were there, the number of eyewitnesses of course, the attrition of that is is going on very fast. Uh, we're now almost all in our eighties. Looking back at these photos, um, do you have a what does it reveal to you? Do you have a different impression of the march? Has has our understanding of the march been different from the way you saw it? Yes, I think so, and I think the reason that I find most appealing is mine really have no polemical standing. You can see that, that I was not promoting a cause. I was not involved in the ongoing civil rights debates about what to do with this, with this issue. And they have sort of a direct naivete or candor about the pictures that I don't think you can get deliberately, but I think it's one of the qualities that I, all these years later, I do see there's a directness and an honesty, both the way I approach these people and what they showed uh, themselves during this time. Well, Peter, congratulations on a really moving book. Thank you for talking about it with us. Thanks for asking me. <laughs>